Amen. Mark chapter 3. Uh, this is a very familiar story uh, in the ministry of Jesus. We call it the man with the withered hand. It's about a man who had issues in his life that had identified him. And uh, it's kind of interesting because as we begin the chapter and Jesus is in the synagogue, it doesn't say that Jesus was standing there with Michael or Billy. Uh, it says that he was standing there with a man with a withered hand. It's something how that sometimes we are identified by our weaknesses. But I believe God is going to help us in this place tonight. If you would just join me very quickly in Mark chapter 3. He entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man, notice, he doesn't identify him by his name. Mark doesn't identify him with his name. He said, the man with the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil or to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. Now this is, this is interesting because as we understand the context of the story, Jesus was not asking him to stretch forth the hand that he could. He was asking him to stretch forth the hand that he could not. He asked him to do something that was impossible for him. But we know with our God that there are going to be times he's going to ask you to do something that you couldn't do on your own. But when he asks you to do it, if you'll stretch forth by faith, there will be a healing. Because the scripture said that he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other. The power of this chapter and we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight if the Lord will help me I'm going to preach to you for just a few minutes tonight but the power of this chapter is that God was willing to do something that the man could not but the first steps to restoration for him was not questioning how or why but just understanding that if Jesus said it I believe I can I believe I can Hallelujah. I want you to look at your neighbor tonight and I want you to say this to them. Stretch forth your hand. You may be seated in Jesus' name. The theme of this Bible story is Christ's ability in the presence of inability. Every miracle that Jesus wrought was teaching that because he was God manifest in the flesh, that there were going to be times that he was going to ask things of humanity that they could not do without him. For instance, this morning I was studying in the book of John, and it tells a story about a man who was a friend of Jesus. He was so much a friend of Jesus that when he heard that this man had died. The Bible said that Jesus wept. But when Jesus came to the tomb of that man, who we know as Lazarus, the Bible said that he had been there for four days. Some said it was too late. As a matter of fact, the sister Martha looked at him and said, Lord, behold, he stinks. It's really too late. The Lord said, well, roll back the stone. And when they roll back the stone, I want you to follow the logic right here on how... He works. They roll back the stone and he looks into a tomb where there is a dead man and commands the dead man to come forth. He's teaching us things every time he does a miracle. He doesn't just do miracles so that people clap. He doesn't just do miracles so people say, wow. He doesn't just do the miraculous so that we can go to a conference and say, I was preaching a meeting and 14 people were healed. 
He doesn't just do miracles so that we can get the crowd hyped up. He does miracles to teach us that there are things that we can do when God gets involved with it that we couldn't do before he got involved with it. Now, I know how the enemy works. I know how he works on our minds. I know it's hard for you to believe this sometimes, but preachers have to deal with flesh. We do. I know it's hard for you to believe this, but your pastor deals with doubt. I deal with confusion. I deal with days when I wonder how in the world God is ever going to get it done. I look at my life sometimes, I think, God, seriously? I mean, look, look how big the task is. And you're going to use me to get this done? You're going to use this church and this city? And I start telling God everything that's wrong, and I realize that I'm identifying myself with the trouble that's in my life. It's just like the man. He was not identified by who he was, but by what he had been through. And so many of you in this place tonight, the enemy has caused you to believe that your identity is only what you've been through and what others have known you as and what people have looked at you as. You are the one that was the alcoholic. And so everybody in your family knows that you were the alcoholic. You're the one that was abused. So everybody in your circle knows you as the abused one and the broken one you are the one that had addictions in your life and so everybody looks at you and says oh yeah that was the addicted one but can i tell you that when jesus touches oh god i feel him here right now you are not what you've been through Can I preach that to you tonight? I said you are not what you've been through. What you've been through is a testimony that God is still able. Amen. I I had something happen to me this morning that kind of shook me just a little bit. And uh, I had a precious young man walk up. This morning and introduced himself. He was here with family. He introduced himself and and uh, he had some markings on his body. And he, as soon as he walked up to me, he apologized for the markings on his body. I said, "Man, no way, no, no, no. We're we're glad you're here. We want you here. We're thankful that you're here. And I want to tell you why." Because the enemy would love to use what you've been through as the crutch and the handicap to keep you out of the presence of God. But what I've come to tell you tonight is that what you've been through, it did not break you and it did not destroy you. But rather it's a testimony of the power of God that's working in your life. I... I, I don't have to ask very long to find out what the devil's opinion of me is. I know what his opinion of me is. And you know what his opinion of you is. Or so we think. But if I could just turn this just a little bit. I want to tell you that he's got us convinced of our identity. Because he's always telling us what we are. He's always telling us what we've been through. He's always reminding us of our past. And so we start believing that that is our identity but I want to tell you what I know in the Holy Ghost tonight the real reason that the devil is always reminding you of what he thinks you is what you are is because he really knows who you really are in Christ I know you may not believe this because you've heard everything the devil has whispered in your ear. But I want to tell somebody tonight, you're about to become hell's worst nightmare. The devil's made you believe that because of what you've been through, you can never do anything for God. But I've come to tell you that because of what you've been through... You're going to do mighty things for God. You've you've heard me teach it. You've heard me preach it. You've heard me talk about this so many times. And I, I really don't understand this concept of how our flesh works. But man, is it forevermore a fact that when we hear from God, we have to have at least three fleeces before God. And have at least four prophets that come up to us to confirm that what we heard from God was the word of God. 
God speaks to us and we're like, Lord, are you sure? Just to be sure that I've heard from you, I'm going to put at least three fleeces out. And I've laughed about that so many times because I've had people come in my office through the years and say, Pastor, I fleeced the Lord. And I really want to know, like, well, was the fleece wet or was the fleece dry? Because they don't know. It's like jargon. They just spit, well, I just fleeced God. Well, what's that mean? You know, the the only time that ever happened in the scripture, he put the fleece out. And and I'm going to give you some homework tonight. So in case you ever want to fleece God, it's going to surprise you. So the question is, when he fleeced the Lord, that was literally with the fleece of an animal. Did the fleece come back wet or did it come back dry with with the dew of the air? That's what I want to know. And here's how the devil works. It's just confusion when God speaks. We start saying things that we're testing God. And we really don't even know what we're testing. We just Lord, I'm going to fleece you. What's that mean? It means we're questioning what God said about us. And the reason why we do is because God believes in us in such a way that what he's saying to us, we we can't even imagine that God could use us like that. Because our decision is predicated on everything that we've been through. And we think God is holding us responsible for every failure that's in our life. But I feel like telling somebody there's still power in the blood of Jesus. Uh, it's so funny to me because the Lord, the Lord speak to us in prayer and we've, we've got to have, you know, 10 phone calls with prophets just to be sure we heard from God. But you walk out of a Sunday night like this, get in your car and the enemy says, I told you, you weren't going to get better and you believe it. You don't call one brother. You don't call one sister. You don't connect with anybody. You don't start looking for a prophet. If the devil said it, it has to be true. Can I I preach on Sunday night? I've come to tell you the devil is still a liar. The devil is still a liar. And he needs to know tonight, I do believe the report of the Lord. I will believe the report of the Lord. And what God says about me, I'm going to stand on that. And what God says about me, I'm going to believe that somebody needs to tell the devil tonight, you have had your last day in my ear. I've come to tell you, devil, that the mouth of the lion is being shut right now. I'm finished with your lies. I'm finished with you talking to my family. I'm tired of you speaking into my marriage. I'm tired of you speaking into my home. I'm tired of you speaking over my children. And I declare the word of the Lord. If you believe it, shout yes. So why, 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 why is this important to us? Well, I, w- I want to tell you because Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. When Jesus said, I am the truth, I want you to understand the significance of the statement. Jesus did not say, I teach truth. Jesus did not say, I declare the truth. As a matter of fact, he did not even say, I believe the truth. Or I hold the truth. And all of these were true. But Jesus said, I am the truth. Well, the prince and the power of the air, he's kind of synonymous with the same deal. When you say Jesus, it's truth. But when you say the devil, Jesus, who is truth, said, your father, the devil... He is the father of all lies, and the truth isn't in him. Why why is this important? Because I want you to understand that when Jesus says it, he's not just speaking the truth. It's the truth telling the truth. But when the devil speaks it, it's a liar telling the lie. The devil's not just telling it because he's a good liar. He's telling it because the truth is not 
in him. So everything that he said about you and every failure, God have mercy, every failure that he's communicated to you, you ought to stand up and tell him tonight, devil, you are a liar. In the life of Jesus, stay with me for just a minute. His thinking and his doing were not divided, which you and I are so apt to do. We we divide our our our, our teaching and our thinking and our doing. This is gonna sound negative, but I don't I don't want it to be negative. But it's amazing how we do because in an atmosphere of faith. I want to frame this properly tonight so that I don't lose anybody. But in an atmosphere of faith, it's easy to believe. It's easy to speak. There's some Sunday nights in here that, I mean, you know, honest to goodness, you just know angels are swarming the building. You feel the power of God. The choir's dancing, shouting. People are running and you feel the power of God. And in moments like that, you stand up and you say, God, I believe you can do it. Right? You're in the altar and your, your, your lost children come to your mind. You're like, God, I believe you can. Your, your lost spouse comes. Oh, God, I believe you can. It's in the atmosphere of faith that we speak it. But when we leave the atmosphere of faith and we get in the atmosphere of reality, it becomes more difficult for us to hold fast to the profession of our faith. Because the faith came in a moment in an atmosphere of faith. But when you're in the atmosphere of doubt and you speak the word of faith to an unbeliever that's in your life and they're always speaking negatively in your ear and you say to them when you come home all charged up from church, I believe the Lord spoke to me tonight and I believe my children are going to be saved and they go, yeah. It's amazing, too, because you start speaking things, faith, power. And I'm not just talking about like, I'm not just talking about a positive mental attitude. I'm talking about faith. And you speak things that are not as though they were. And the devil don't have as much power as we want to give him. Let me tell you what he is. He's slick. The devil don't have access to your thoughts, but he does have access to influencers. And it's amazing that about the time you start speaking high faith, he knows how to send old Debbie Downer your way. No offense. He likes to send people that know how to speak counterproductive words to your faith. I feel like I'm really coming out of this. I have felt more strength than I've ever felt. And they'll say something wonderful. That has to do with your reality. When you're like, I finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. And they're like, uh, by the way, they called and said they're coming to repossess your car tomorrow. You're like, man, I feel so encouraged in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) But Jesus did not compartmentalize what he taught and what he said and what he did. What he said and what he did were not divisions. We often divide the secular and the sacred. (laughs) We will divide the secular and the sacred. And we have a hard time because when God speaks sacred things to us and we get in a secular atmosphere, it's like the word of God loses its grip and its strength. And so we let the devil lie to us and twist the word And we say, well, it's because God gave brother so-and-so a greater measure of faith than he gave you. And I've heard it preached all my life that God gave us uh, all a measure of faith. That is not what the scripture says. The scripture said that God gave us the measure. There's not a measure that I get and a measure that you get. There is the measure that we get. 
And you need to understand tonight that my measure of faith and your measure of faith are both powerful enough to take every lying devil and close his mouth. It's hard to measure, it's hard to measure faith. And I don't know what the measure is. You know, I can tell you what a cup of sugar is. And I can tell you when somebody don't know how to put a cup of sugar in, in iced tea. I, I, I know what, what, what the measure, the, I know what the measure is. And when somebody don't know how to put the measure in, you drink bitter tea with no sweet. But when somebody knows how to measure it out, it brings great pleasure to the body. I don't know what the measure of faith is, but this is what I do know. God doesn't do anything halfway. This is not deep. I'm going to preach it as fast as I can and get off of it. But I'm here to remind somebody tonight. There's only one measure of faith. It's the measure of faith. And it's enough faith. Oh God. There is enough faith in the measure that it is greater than any lie. It is greater than any demonic power. It is greater than any witchcraft. It is greater than any warlock. Oh, I feel my helping here right now. It is greater than any fallen angel. It is... It's greater than cancer. It's greater than sickness. It's greater than disease. I don't know how the measure is, but I know it's more than enough. That's what I know. I feel faith in here right now. I feel faith in here right now. I feel miracles in this room right now. I feel hope in this room right now. I feel faith in the room. I I, I don't want to get sidetracked because I'm going somewhere. But I'm talking to you about dividing the secular and the sacred. But I want you to understand that in an atmosphere like this, the reason why it's so important for us to come together. Yes, I have the measure. But I want to tell you why being together is so powerful. It's because we all have the measure of faith. But when I walk in here with the measure, and I link arms with you, and you have the measure, it's not just the measure. It's our measure. As we link arms in the supernatural and we begin to believe, there is exponential growth that when I speak with the measure or he speaks with the measure, it's one thing. But when we begin to speak with the measure, the Bible said that one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. You do understand what that means. That means when I join my praise and my faith with your praise and your faith that there is no devil in hell or no devil in Anderson, Indiana that can stop what God is doing. I've come to bind together with you tonight and tell you that God is greater. My God. Misery loves company. Can I preach? I'm not quite where I'm going. I'm almost through with my introduction, but I got to get where I'm going. I want to tell you this tonight. Misery loves company. Confusion loves company. Doubt loves company. Unbelief loves company. And when you're down, you can always find down to talk to. But faith loves company too. And it's a choice with what I connect myself to. Oh God, I'm preaching better than I've ever preached right here. I said it matters what I connect myself to. I can choose to connect myself with somebody that's always going to believe with me that this is the way it's always going to be. Or I can find somebody that's got the Holy Ghost and I can connect myself with them and say, brother or sister, would you bind together with me and help me pray that God is going to turn this thing around. I feel like faith.
faith is connecting right now. I feel faith connecting in the room. Somebody's starting to believe what God says about you. We divide the secular and the sacred. But to Jesus, all life was sacred. And everything that he touched, when he touched it in the secular, it would be revealed as sacred. Am I making any sense? When the disciples asked him how to pray, he immediately begins to connect the two worlds, not, not dividing them, but bringing them together. Our Father, which art in heaven, this is the sacred. But I'm in a secular place recognizing how sacred he is. Hallowed, sacred, holy, be thy name. You with me? You know, I don't have time to preach the whole Lord's Prayer. But I want you to see, when he touches the secular, it becomes sacred. He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Watch this. He knows where they're standing because he's with them. The image of the invisible God in the earth. We beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's standing in the secular world. He said, but when you enter into your prayer closet, you have a right to say, Thy kingdom come. What's he doing? He's reaching up into the sacred And he's bringing it into the secular. Oh God, you ain't hearing what I'm saying right now. He wasn't saying that the trouble disappears. He's not saying that the storm necessarily ceases. Let let me just, let me just stay right here for just, I got in that reading Lazarus today. I, I was reading Lazarus today. I preach it all the time when Jesus said, let us go to the other side and the storm came. He said the word before they left, but this is a trend with Jesus. When Lazarus died, Jesus said this to his disciples that were close. He said that Lazarus is not sick unto death. You understand that in the secular world, it felt like it was over. On the storm-tossed vessel, it felt like they were being consumed. But there was a sacred word that was imparted in their secular storm before the storm ever came. And the word, oh God, I feel this, don't lose me right here. The word does not lose power because the storm gains power. But the storm is stronger than it's ever been. Yeah, but the word has never stopped being powerful. The word that he spoke before the storm was stronger than the storm that would come. You need to know that before you went in, God gave you the word to come out. I believe, I believe. Somebody's going to leave here tonight knowing who you are. But Jesus, as he begins to connect the secular and the sacred and to bring it together, we find that the reason for it was because in his flesh, he was fulfilling the will of God in the flesh. Everything that he did was done to fulfill the will of God. And I hope you got your seatbelt on for this right now because this is a tough pill to swallow, but it's truth. Even his suffering fulfilled the will of God. He prayed and he said, Lord, if it's possible, then let it pass. But if it's not possible, he said, Lord, not my will. But thy will be done. This is the most difficult and powerful praying that you will ever do in your life. Because you realize when his kingdom comes, that your kingdom goes. And when his will comes, your will has... Oh God, I want to help somebody here. 
We have faith enough to believe in the ministry of extraction that God is able to extract us out of the storm. But I want to know where is the kind of faith tonight that believes that even if the storm exists, that he is powerful enough in this vessel that I can ride through the storm with Jesus. Here come the waves. Does he not care? Splash. What's wrong with him? Does he not care? that voice of doubt comes look you're about to die and Jesus is sleeping what are we going to do there he is sleeping do you know why he was resting because he had already given the word hmm Man, I feel this here right now. Some of us have been seeking God for a fresh word. God, just give me something. I need a fresh word. Man, I don't know how many thousands of dollars I've spent in my life to go get a fresh word. I've done, I've done it all. I've done General Conference, Youth Congress, NYC, BOTT. Not yet. I can't get an invitation. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done it all. I've done no limits, outer limits. City limits. If I got real depressed, I did the Austin city limits and listened to country music. And what, you know? I was trying to get a word. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you from my heart, I believe in gathering together and, 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 and the increase that comes when God gives us a fresh word. But I'm going to speak for me and I'm going to tell you something that I know. I've had seasons of my life that I've sought God, please give me a fresh word, a fresh word. I've laid in here and soaked this carpet. I've laid in the prayer room. So I've driven down the road in my pickup truck. Man, I've spoken in tongues. Soak my clothes, get out, look like I've been in the rain, got, got my shirt all wet, been crying, God, I need a word, I need a word, I need a word. And I feel that gentle nudge of the Holy Ghost in my soul saying, you don't need a fresh word. You need to be reminded of what I've already spoken. Somebody in here is searching for God to give you a fresh word that's going to carry you through. But you need to know you've already received the word that you need to carry you through. And the reason why I started looking for another word is because I didn't like the last word he gave me. I realized the last word was you may have to endure some things. But if you'll climb the mountain, God will reveal himself in an angel grabbing the dagger out of your hand just before it's too there's never going to be a ram in the thicket if you don't climb the mountain it's the invisible parts of God's kingdom that we struggle with Abraham would not have struggled if the mountain would have been transparent and he could have seen the other side of the mountain all he could see was the rugged edges all he could see was the broken rocks all he could see was that he was getting closer with every step to the mountain top where he would have to lay his only son of promise Isaac down but what he could not see is that every step he took in faith there was a ram coming up the other side you can't see what God is doing but every step you take there's a ram that's moving closer to the thicket the word is trust God trust God trust God you still got your seatbelts on because I'm in the vein of the Holy Ghost right now but you got to get this in your spirit But what if God takes this away from me and I don't have it? Then you got to know that God believes you can make it without that. Come on, this is heavy right now. We're going to rejoice in just a minute. 
But God, I, I don't think I could live without that. Then, then, then you're in that moment of telling God how His will is going to happen when your will is accomplished. And there's got to be a paradigm shift in our thinking that whether God takes it or He leaves it. Can I just take you to the familiar story tonight, the familiar chapter? I don't have time to preach it. But one of the famous men that have lost everything, his name was Job. This is what he said. I came into the world naked. (laughs) And I'm going to leave naked. I came with nothing and I'm leaving with nothing. Nothing. And in the moment that he could not clearly see that God was the giver of all good and perfect gifts, he was trying to just sustain his faith. And every voice in his life said, quit. Give up. Curse God. He couldn't see enough clearly to know that it wasn't God that was taking things from him. It was an enemy that was taking things from him. And so the only thing that he could come up with in his faith, this to me with Job, is the moment in the Old Testament that we have in the New Testament with a man who had a tormented son. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Job is in that moment right there when he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He still thought that the Lord was taking away something from him while it was an enemy that was taking it away. But this is what I want you to understand. Even in the midst of loss, the only thing that he could say is blessed be the name of the Lord. I may not have tomorrow what I had today. And I may not have today what I had yesterday. But I still got my faith. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, I wish somebody would get it right now. Blessed. Blessed. Oh, God. Everything was directed to the will of God. Even, Lord Jesus, I feel this here tonight. Y'all doing okay? Even while hanging on the cross and he said, I'm thirsty. You got to be careful who you reveal your thirst in front of. Because he said, I'm thirsty. And the next thing that touched his tongue was bitterness. I came in here to preach this. I'm telling you, I'm fighting for somebody. I'm fighting for somebody in here tonight. Jesus was looking in the eyes of soldiers that literally hated his guts. He was looking in their eyes and they hated him enough to drive spikes through his hands and spikes through his feet. And the Bible said that they took that sponge that was full of bitter gall and they lifted it up on the end of that spear that would more than likely be the same spear that would pierce his side. And they put that bitterness up to his mouth. But even in the darkest moment of his life Jesus said, I cannot afford to have bitterness in my mouth. As soon as he recognized the bitterness that was on his mouth, the Bible said that he refused it. Why? Because bitterness was contrary to the will of God. You got to know that you're going to make it through this. There's a resurrection that's coming, but you've got to get, you've got to get through it. I don't know how some of you precious people have made it. I'm being honest. There are people in this room right now that if you heard their story, you'd curl up in a fetal position and lay on the floor and weep and cry. You couldn't couldn't stand it. But tonight, in this room, with everything they've been through, loss so extravagant, loneliness like we can't even imagine, And I watched tonight in this room of people that I stood with you next to caskets.
I've stood with you in dark moments and I watched in here tonight with everything that you've been through and I saw your hands in the air and I saw your mouth moving and there was no bitterness that was dripping from your tongue but there was a praise that was in your heart. Why was it there? Because in your darkest hour you may have thought it was going to consume you but looking back on it now you realize you made it through and God was forming your character. Oh God! And God was making you into what he wanted you to be. And you had to walk through it to have the character you've got now. Your praise means something different on this side of it than it did on the other side. Come on, let's worship. I feel him here right now. Your praise looks different on this side of it. On the other side of it, you praised him because you had it. On this side of it, you praise him in spite of what you've lost. That hits just a little different. When your praise is not because you feel like praising. (laughs) But this time it's the sacrifice of praise. It's that heavy praise. It's the praise that you don't want to give because you've been carrying the load. But you realize as you begin to lift your hands that the heaviness lifts off of your shoulders. And all of that that you've carried in your mind, the only way it's leaving is when a spirit of praise gets on you. I feel like telling somebody tonight, he's still able to take that spirit of heaviness and put on you a garment of praise. Let's take just a minute and love the Lord right now. I feel him trying to work. There's something working beneath the surface of what we see in here tonight. This is when praise takes on a whole different face and we move out of just praise for what he's done and we begin to worship him for who he is. I don't praise him for what I've gained and I don't, I don't get upset with him for what I've lost because I realize that if I lose everything but I still have him, I've got more. I've got more than enough. If I lose everything, I've got more than enough. Some of us praise him because we've got a car but worship says I don't need a car to bless him. Some of us praise him for the new suit that we got on but somebody that's poor in spirit said I don't care if I've got to praise him in a pair of jeans for the rest of my life I give him praise I bless his name I'm not blessing him for what I've got I'm blessing him because of who he is oh I feel him here right now Jesus is standing in the synagogue. I'm hurrying. He's standing in the synagogue. And the Bible said he knew what they were doing. He he knew their spirit. Folks, I don't want to get stuck right here. Because this is not what I came to preach, okay? But I want to set somebody free in this room right now. From the expectations of other people. God knows people's motives.
Well, they were looking at me with disdain. Yep, but there's still a withered hand that needs healed. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, okay? But I'm just going to say this. The broken man was still healed in spite of the judgmentalism. Because everything that Jesus did pointed to doing righteousness and doing the will of God. I, I, I don't say this to be mean tonight. But it really doesn't matter how many people judge you and what they think of you. When you walk into this place, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you live in a shack or you live in a 10,000 square square foot it doesn't matter where you live or where you come from God has a way of dealing with motives on their own but healing broken things in the midst of it he knew what they were doing the Bible said he did they pointed to a broken man and said well is he going to do it today I mean, we're going to watch and see what he does. Jesus knew what they were doing. Because Jesus knows the hearts of people. And there may be people that you look at and say, they don't deserve to be here. Well, welcome to the club. I, I can't believe, I just can't believe that people would come to the Lord like that. You know what? Let them come. I walked in the lobby this morning. Oh, God. I walked in the lobby this morning and I could smell the smoke from the apartment. But I could also smell smoke from clothes, Bishop. I came in here this morning. There was a little family came in. Josh was so sweet to stay and help. I, I don't know if anybody else even came in other than that mom or boy. And I put my arm around him and said, we're so glad you're here. When I walked away, I smelled like I'd smoked a pack. It didn't make me mad. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If they walk in here smelling like weed, if they walk in here smelling like alcohol, Come on. It's better than a bunch of professional Pentecostals that's got it all together. I don't mean this ugly, but God will step over a professional Pentecostal to get to somebody that's broken and wants to be free. So just act like you got it all together, but somebody's hungry. Think all those kids have the same dad? Probably not. Yeah, I've seen her before on the other side of town. Well, there ain't one of us in here that hadn't been somewhere where we shouldn't have been. You can be seated. Their motive is being revealed. Jesus is standing there. This is so sad to me. I don't again. I, this is not what I came to preach. So I can't stay. Please understand that I'm not making fun of the man, but his hand was withered. And while he's standing there with the withered hand, that's been withered all of his life, more than likely. His hand is as withered as it's ever been. And Jesus is having to deal with rotten spirits that are delaying the deliverance of the impotent man. I wonder sometimes how delayed miracles have been and revival has been because God is having to deal with our human spirits while withered and broken things are saying, please heal me. Please heal me. Listen, you just hear it tonight from the heart of this guy, okay? 
God put me on the wall of this church. I'm the watchman of the wall. I'm nobody special, but I'm the shepherd of this church, okay? You hear me, you hear me right now. I don't care what you're wearing here. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you come from. And if anybody looks at you ugly, you come tell me about it. You're not here tonight for people. You're here because the Spirit of God drew you here. You're here because God loves you more than you could ever imagine. You're here because God is so madly in love with you that he extended mercy to you. Let God love you. So finally Jesus said, man, fooey with the religious spirit. He walks up to the man. I don't know how they did it. It's not recorded. You know, my mind is, if you attend this church, you know my mind likes to walk through the scripture. And I kind of walk around the room and look. And I kind of get the idea that Jesus was a pretty cordial man. So I kind of have the feeling that when Jesus walked up, Brother Caleb, that he probably put his hand on the guy. Maybe, maybe even took his good hand and shook his hand. Let him know everything's... Everything's going to be all right. And he's looking over here at this ugly spirit. And he's like, hey, just, just one second. I'll, I'll be right there. And kind of rests his hand on him a little bit. There he is. He sees this Jesus that he's heard about. Everybody knows who he is. He's the most wanted man, especially in a synagogue. Uh, and he's standing there next to God manifest in the flesh. And Jesus reaches out, and so the man extends his best. I hope he doesn't notice how broken I am. <laughs> when Jesus walked up and put his hands on him, the man immediately just extended his best out. So Jesus didn't embarrass him. He just took him by his good hands. Bless you, buddy. Bless you. Put his hand on him. So the man reaches over with his good arm. Because Jesus has his hand rested on him. You know, he's like, well, I guess this is what we do. And I'm a little intimidated by the judgmental crowd over here. So he kind of tucks his brokenness in a little tighter. He puts his good hand on Jesus and kind of gives him the pat like you we're going to be okay right because I've heard some things they're, 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 they're trying to get to you Jesus gives him that calm assurance everything's everything's going to be okay and then Jesus turns to him and he says stretch forth thy hand and you know in his mind He's saying, but I, I didn't want you to see that. <laughs> That's the part of me that I keep hitting all the time. That's the part of me that has humiliated me my whole life. And now in front of all these people, you want me to expose my weakness. But in the moment that his mind began to race, and he said, surely he doesn't want that part of me. <laughs> I wasn't there, so you got to give me some hermeneutical privilege. But I have to believe that maybe, just maybe in that moment, so there was complete clarity in what Jesus wanted that he just reached down and took him by his good hand so he knew, I see you've tried to offer me your best. But now I'll take your worst. There was a calm assurance because Jesus said, I've, I've seen what you've tried. You've walked in here Sunday after Sunday. And you've tightened up your tie on the way past the mirror. And you've shined up your shoes. But that broken part in you that you've had hidden inside your sleeve. That you don't want anybody to see. 
That's the part I want. I don't want it because it's healed. I don't want it because it's whole. I don't want it because it's beautiful. I want it because it's yours. And I want to show you what I can do. You've offered me your best. Now let me show you what I can do with your brokenness. Bible said it that all of a sudden he took that hand that was immobile and the secular and the sacred came together you have to understand this was more than what it appeared because the paralysis for all those years the muscles they weren't there the bones were deformed it was like, it was it wasn't right and so none of those nerve endings knew how to work But God that created. (laughs) I wasn't there, Bishop. I don't know. But I almost have to wonder if while Jesus stood there and said, stretch forth thy hand. If he didn't just reach back to that vertebrae that deals with the hand that moves. And he reached over and touched the vertebrae and the brain said, work. And the hand goes, The Bible said that immediately. His head became as what was what. Listen, I know what the devil tells you. And I understand there's some scars that you have to carry for the, I I get that. I understand there's some things that you have to bear and some load that you have to bear. But the devil wants you to believe that there's always going to be a distinction in your failure. But the Bible said that God made his broken hand just like his other hand. That God made him heal and God made him whole. I've come to preach to somebody tonight. You came on Sunday night to give God your best. But right now, he's saying, stretch forth that failure. Stretch forth that broken part. Give me the part that you wouldn't give anybody access to. Last time I revealed that to a man, he mocked me. Last time I I let somebody know what I had been through as a child, they mocked me. Last time I revealed my brokenness to somebody, they just laughed. You've never been loved like Jesus loves. I'm telling you, I feel such a draw of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about the part that you've kept hidden for years. Wouldn't give anybody access to it. The Lord sent me with a word in here tonight that is the key. That's going to reach into that broken part of your soul and unlock it. And I know what I'm asking for. But I'm about to open up these altars. It's kept your marriage held captive. It's kept you from being what you want to be to your kids. Your family's been weird. Everything. Just because you're keeping it locked up. But the Holy Ghost sent me here tonight. To reach in and unlock that. And said, let me in. Because I'm going to teach you how to love like you have never loved. For the first time in his life, he had feelings in places that he had never felt before. For the first time in his life, he reached up and touched his face, felt his garment. What's God going to do in here tonight? He's going to give you feelings in places that you said, I'll never feel there because I've hurt there all my life. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is moving in this room right now. These altars are absolutely open. It really doesn't matter what others say about you right now. The Holy Ghost is saying, stretch forth your hand. If you're willing tonight to stretch forth your hand and say, Lord, I've tried on my own. But tonight I want to give you the worst of me. I've let you down a million times. And I'm asking you to heal what's broken. 
Oh, God. Come on, he's in the room right now. He's in the room right now. Jesus is in the room. Come on, there's a healing balm in this room right now. God knows how to make you a better mother. He knows how to make you a better father. He knows how to make you a better friend.